Hola, pod peeps across the digital domain. It's the Deacon's Pod, where spirituality and justice meet real American life in the 21st century. I'm Deacon Dennis. Say hello to my co-conspirators, Paulist affiliate Deacons, Deacon Tom and Deacon Drew. Hi, it's Deacon Drew. Today we are talking to United States District Judge Esther Salas. I would be surprised if you had not heard of Judge Salas. Unfortunately, if you have heard of her, it might not have been good things that you heard. I mean, Judge Salas is a good person, but she has suffered a tremendous tragedy. On July 19th, 2020, which is a Sunday, a Roy Dan Hollander, dressed up as a FedEx delivery man, rang her doorbell at her home. And her son answered the door in front of his father. He jumped in front of his father, and Roy Den Hollander shot her son and killed him. He then shot Daniel's father several times, Mark and Earl, and then he fled. Today, we're going to talk to Judge Salas about how she and her husband, Mark, who survived that shooting, even though he was in the hospital for months and underwent several surgeries, have dealt with this tragedy with the loss of their son, which no person, and especially no parent, can possibly imagine. Judge Salas, welcome to our podcast. Thank you for having me. I just want to tell all the deacons that are present that I appreciate their opportunity to be heard on a subject that, quite frankly, has been uh, keeping me afloat since uh, July 19, 2020. Well, the reason we, why we've asked you to come on, other than just because we like you and we'd like to talk to you, is because fairly soon after this tragedy occurred, you and Mark went public in forgiving the killer as an act of Christian charity. And that's something we'd like to talk about if it's okay with you today. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, Mark forgave the shooter, our son's killer, while he was fighting for his life in the ICU. And I was not ready then and there to forgive him. It took me a couple more weeks. But I distinctly remember the moment that I forgave my only child's killer. And uh, we were attending, actually, uh, our pastor, Father Robert Lynham. The Mark was released on August 7th. And from the moment he was released, our pastor began to do private masses for us every Sunday. And it was a private mass that was being done. And uh, I was sitting next to Mark's hospital bed in in uh, the home that we're renting. And the homily had to do with Jesus having to forgive Peter three times for forsaking him. And Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? As you all of you uh, know very well, the homily. And uh, Peter said yes. And then Jesus asked again and again. And um and I remember holding Mark's hand and bowing my head. And, you know, at that moment, it still, you know, brings emotion. At that moment, I, I just said, God, I forgive him. God, I forgive him. God, I forgive him. And from the moment that I forgave the shooter, I felt different. I felt lighter. I felt like a tremendous weight had been lifted. And I have been operating in that light ever since. You know, it's interesting to me, Judge, that you say it took you longer 
And then you described that longer as being, I think, two or three weeks. It would take, I think, other people, perhaps, I don't want to subjectively say anything about other people, but it would take other people a hell of a lot longer than two or three weeks. I mean, it seems that your faith, that you are connected to your faith in a way that so many of us are not. Have you always been like that? You know, I've always been a spiritual person. I've always felt a connection to God. But since my son's murder and since my, you know, my husband's near-death experience, the connection is so strong. It's so, it's a blessing. You know, I tell people that, you know, when everything happened, I was in the basement talking to Danny and by the way, I am, I am a firm believer in signs. I think God speaks to us in the everyday events of our lives. And I remember, you know, Daniel, we were in the basement cleaning up after this weekend of friends over and it was COVID. It's still COVID, but we were thick of COVID. And, you know, he was so grateful and just so thankful. And we were in the basement talking and Mark came down the stairs and you know, Mark is, you know, is, I want to speak in present tense, Mark has and always will be, da- you know, Danny's bro. You know, he goes to games with Danny. You know, he used to go to all the sports events, but I was Danny's confidant. And so Danny was talking to me about things that were concerning him. And Mark came down those steps and Danny shot his dad a look like, not now, mom and I are talking. And, and, and Mark retreated back upstairs and Danny was, you know, swinging a wiffle ball bat and just said, mom, keep talking to me. I love talking to you. And just as he said that, it was as if cue the doorbell, the doorbell goes, Daniel, you know, bolts up the stairs. I can barely stop him. Technically, Mark was by the bay window and Daniel went right to that door. And I have to say to you three gentlemen, that was not Danny's MO. Danny did not run to the door. But as I've said in, in you know, reflection, Daniel's face went from calm and serene to concern in a second, the minute that doorbell rang. And he literally was so concerned. Who is that? And like I said, bolted up, beat his father to the door. Mark hadn't gotten to the door yet. And that's when he opened the door and as the FBI agents say, they can't that what was said, no one knows. But we know that Daniel put his arms up as if to block the shooter. And he took one direct hit to the chest and went back with his hands in a cross position. And then, of course, the shooter turned the gun on Mark and shot him three times. And the bullets hit five different parts of his body. But that moment uh, that I ran upstairs, you know, I say to people all the time, you know, as a mother, you see your child enter this world and then to see him leave, it's a blessing and a curse. But from the moment that happened, there have been so many blessings from God, so many. And one of them was while I was in the hospital, because I, I of course, fainted while I was in the hospital and they had to admit me. And it was a Wednesday. Daniel died on a Sunday. And then on Wednesday, I was in a catatonic state. And I can remember laying in that bed and I felt a gentle nudge from above. 
And I felt God as if God was saying, time to wake up. And I sat up in my hospital bed and listened to the doctors tell me how Mark may or may not make it. And, and I have never looked back. I have been given a strength and determination that I believe is divine. And, you know, I am, I used to say I believe in God. I don't say that anymore. I say I know God. You know, Aaron, I'm just going to jump in for a minute because I find that intriguing as I became familiar with your story and as I listened to you about, and in this point about being close to God, knowing God, instead of believing as I assume you mean like an abstract concept, like, well, yeah, that's what I was taught. And so theoretically and all that. Father Richard Rohr has a great line. I don't know if you're familiar with Richard Rohr. Oh, okay. I am. I'm very familiar with him. But he has a line that (laughs) I've never forgotten. He said, there's only two ways to get close to God, either on the cross or at the foot of the cross in prayer. And as I'm listening to you, what's going through my mind is you double dipped. You've been on the cross and you've been at the foot of the cross in prayer. And that depth of yours really comes out. Now, my two co-conspirators here on this little endeavor, you know, Drew is the legal eagle and Tom is our finance guy and I'm the theology geek, I guess. And uh, there is a thing that in the tradition, as you know, we have martyrs who are always saints. There's another category called the confessors. And it doesn't mean going to confession, but it means during a time of persecution, the martyrs were killed. The confessors went through the persecution, but they didn't die, so they lived. But they were held in high esteem because they stayed faithful in the ultimate trial. And as I was listening to you talk at the Catholic University, the little video, the, the thing you did with the students and Daniel's friends and everything, I was thinking, these people are confessors. They are modern-day confessors. You, what you're demonstrating is faithfulness to a heroic degree to the message of Jesus. And I just wanted to say that to you. It's, uh, uh, you know, I'm not worthy to un- unloosen your sandals. You know, I mean, it's very, you know, I, being the great uh, sinner that I am, I know holiness when I see it, and I'm seeing it. And I just wanted to say that it's been a blessing to me to to see you and how you've handled this and everything. It's very inspiring. And so I just... You know, I thank you. I thank you for that. I'll tell you that, you know, all of this is so... You, you never imagine your life changing in the blink of an eye. But when you're hit with tragedy, like we were hit with, it cracks you wide open. And I think that when you have that light come into you and you have that ability to sort of yep. awaken, if you will, one of Danny's favorite shirts, um, and it's, I, I don't believe in coincidences. I only say there are God incidences now. And Daniel would wa- wear this one shirt that would say, awake my soul, awake my soul. And, and I always loved seeing him in that shirt. And I feel as if, you know, on July 19, 2020, I was, you know, I awoke from a slumber and, and I realized that there is so much that we all don't know about God and that we all don't really appreciate what is going on in our world. 
And I, I believe that in many ways we're in a spiritual crisis and we are, we have forgotten from where we have come from. And when you have something rock your world, like it rocked my ours, it has brought me home in so many ways. And I feel blessed. I feel blessed. You never have a sense of perspective until you've lost your only child. One that, quite frankly, I was blessed to have in the first place. I had four miscarriages, three before him and one after. And so Daniel was a gift from God. And anyone who you know knew Daniel knew that he appreciated that too, because that kid loved every moment of life. And I truly believe, and this is when you can get deeper into your faith, I believe that Daniel came to earth. There was a sacred contract. And, you know, God can't stop what happened at my doorstep. Um, he gave man free will a long time ago. But what he did was set, and I believe, sent people in my path before, during, and even after. And to this day, quite frankly, and Daniel was someone sent to protect his father and I. I believe that. I believe that from all of the signs, there's, there's a story, a couple of stories that I know I can share here in this platform. So Daniel's friends arrived on Friday before he was murdered. We had his party. The, the, the shooter was stalking our house. We didn't know it. He was outside the house watching all Daniel's friends come into the house that night. They all slept over Sunday morning, Saturday morning, rather. They, a lot of them were leaving. Some were staying. Three were staying. And I you know, wanted to get Daniel's privacy, so I walked down the, the street to walk the dogs, and he was on our block, and I didn't know it. And for a moment, him and I locked eyes for a second. And I would come to find out that was my son's murder. And he watched me say goodbye to Danny's friends and everything. And so as Daniel got ready later in the day to go to the beach with his friends, I was packing the cooler, doing this man was watching my every move. And Daniel went off to the beach and they left and they came back and we know what happened then. But the, where I'm going to bring you now to is this part of the story. At Daniel's funeral, one of the friends that went to the beach with him, his name is Frank, and spiritual as well. All these kids were from Catholic University. They said they were leaving the beach and they saw a vagrant. And the vagrant looked at them and it was Frank, Kat, Alexis, and Danny. And the vagrant looked at them and looked at Danny and said, Jesus loves you. And they all kind of looked around like, who's this guy talking to? And all of a sudden, the person said, Jesus loves you. And they, you know, they, they just looked. And Frank came up to me at that wake, crying, Mrs. Ander, oh, that's my married name. You know, I told my mom what happened. At the beach, my mom said, that's not an accident. That was the day before Daniel was killed. And so you take that story and you combine it with one of the friends that Daniel had spent the week before his murder. He was, you know, hanging out with this kid, Joe Clark. And Joe Clark saw me at uh, one of the events and came up to me and said, Mrs. Andrew, I have to talk to you. And I said, what's up, Joe? And he said, I don't know how to say this. I, I, haven't, I haven't wanted to say this because it wasn't the right time, but I need you to know that when Dan and I were alone in the car, he said, you know, Joe, 
a lot of people have done me wrong and a lot of people have done my family wrong. But he said, but I forgive them because I didn't, I've never walked a day in their shoes. And Joe Clark goes, Mrs. Andrew, kids my age, we don't talk that way. And it just dawned on me. It was as if Daniel was getting ready to go home. And so for me to hear these stories from his friends and, you know, and to have my faith, there are no more, there's no more evidence I need. Right. You know? Yeah, no. It's, it, it's, you know, I just see all these parallels and I, when you tell us these stories about Daniel basically teaching his friends how to love two days before he leaves us, it's reminiscent of Jesus's story when he sits down with the, with his apostles at the last supper. I mean, I, I don't want to build too <laughs> much of that because I don't even think Daniel would want me to do that, but it does ring a bell, but it does ring a bell. This story, and I want to go back to the one of the first things you said, and I and we hear it all through your story too. And it's something that I think I know that I'm, I very much believe as well, and I'm sure that Dennis and Tom do too, that there are signs, and that we don't see the signs. And when we do see the signs, I think that's when we have our moments of faith and get blown away. I know that's happened to me, but I know it probably hasn't happened to me as much. I just read. And Dennis will know where I read this. I just read it two nights ago, and I can't remember who said it. I think it was in a James Martin book where we always see the back of Jesus. Like he's passed by, yeah. He's passed by, and we, and then we, but we do see him, and we see his back, and we go, oh, you know, I mean, I have a couple of those stories, but, you know. But so let's, if we can for a minute, these signs, do you, I think, I, I don't want to presume the answer. Do you think, Judge, that you're more in tune to the signs now than you were before? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I mean, we'll tell you that, you know, we all can see it, but a lot of times we're so closed off to them. And I think it's because we are, in a lot of ways, it's illusion, right? We, we have fallen into this idea of we're separate from God. You know, we've fallen right. into exactly. And, and I think it's, that's when our ego comes in. And that's when we begin to forget that really we are children, all children of God and all equal and that he loves us equally, you know, and because we get caught up in ego and because we get caught up in illusion and because we get caught up in projecting our own fears onto everything we see, we are so distracted from what really is the one thing we all should be mindful of. And as that is love. And that is our connectedness to God all the time. And that is what I feel. Like, even on a day like today where, you know, things aren't going exactly the way I would love to see them go. And I know that he's, I'm never alone. And I, I, I feel a connection to God all the time. And to Daniel, quite frankly. There have been so many beautiful signs that I have been blessed with since his murder. and reaffirming that there is life after life and that in my view you can view it two ways that we are here in school or you know but that we are here to learn so much about ourselves and the question is are we willing to learn are we willing to open our minds and our hearts to the truth and that is god is love and we are all love 
And once we begin to accept that, then, you know, the Paulist, our mission is evangelization primarily. We reach out to the people on the margins, and but not just those, the people sitting in the pews who have fall, fallen asleep and don't see the signs. And do you think it's true that once you know that you are one with God, that it's easier for other people to see that as well? You know, I think that one of the things that I have found, and I think, you know, obviously, Drew, you, you knew me before the murder and now post-murder. I always view my life pre-murder, post-murder. I think I was always a very positive person, but if it's possible, I <laughs> yes, that. Yes, you were. Right. Yeah, positive person is a very good way to describe you, Judge Salas. <laughs> you know, up to We're going to make this work. <laughs> we are. But I think now I, I, I'm even, if it's possible, I feel more like I find myself doing things that, you know, I know you all would relate to. But when I see somebody, sometimes I just find myself saying, God bless them. And I just send them love. You know, and I, and it just happened in church the other day. It just, I saw this woman, I just wanted to hug her, you know, and I, you know, and I know it's COVID and not supposed to do that. And she doesn't know me either. So she probably <laughs> wonder why I'm hugging her, uh, but it's just this love. Like I feel like I'm constantly wanting to show love, be it, express it, live it, breathe it, can't explain it. And, and I will tell you that honestly, I prayed because it wasn't always that way. There were some dark moments in the months following my son's death. And I used to, you know, I have this little shrine at home and, you know, it has Danny's picture and Mary and it's just everything that's been given to me in, in the last few months. And I get on my hands and knees every night. And when I was not at this point, I prayed to God for just peace and acceptance. That's all I want was peace and acceptance. God, please, peace and acceptance. And, you know, he gave it to me. And I feel like I can, I get up every day with gratitude. First thing I do before I get out of bed is I thank God and Daniel. And I don't even let my feet touch the floor without thanking them. And, and it's, it's, it's been, I would never have had this strength if it wasn't sent by God, if it wasn't gifted graced by his lord (laughs) by the lord honestly i honestly believe that it's a tremendous testament it's a tremendous testament but it leads me to ask another question and as you alluded to a few minutes ago i did know you pre-murder and so i know a little bit about the fact that you uh, as anyone would took some time off after the murder just a little bit because i want to get to that first of all i think I've spoken with other people who know you as well, and we're all just amazed that you just took some time off. You went back to work. I don't know if I could have ever gone back to work if it were me. And other people I've spoken to express the same sentiment, like, how did she do that? How did she do that? So can you talk a little bit about that and whether that was, in retrospect, the right thing to do? You're working now, but I presume it was the right thing to do. But tell us about that. Yeah, you know, I took Mark was... I almost lost Mark three times. Well, right, right. Uh, Mark was almost died, actually did die, and had a, a, a very powerful experience outside the, our house. And then he developed an, an infection in the abdominal region, which was E. coli that was encapsulated. And if it would have burst, he would have died. And then, of course, he was walking around with a bleeding ulcer in March, and we almost lost him to a stroke. Thank God 
we got it in time and we were able to get him to the hospital. But so, so I was really focused and fixated on making sure my husband could recover from this. So I was working on him, but I was also working on myself and, and sort of getting stronger every day. And when I finally returned on March 1st, Mark actually had to go back to the hospital that week and was hospitalized. That was during the bleeding ulcer phase and literally discharged on Thursday, the 5th of March and was back to work that following Monday. I never looked back. But again, I think forgiveness, when we talk about forgiveness, that played a huge part in my ability to come back to work. Because when I forgave my son's murderer, I let go of anger, hatred, bitterness, and and I was able to sort of stay in the light and stay positive. And I also credit a lot of my reading, everything from Teresa of Avila, Interior Castles, to Eckhart Tolle and, you know, Power of Nap and realizing that all we have is present moment. And little by little, all of the readings that I was able to do allowed me to become present moment and focused. And that allows me to deal with the motions, deal with the cases, deal with life in real time, if you will. And so that, that's been for me, again, uh, never alone with God's assistance. And thankfully, uh, you know, I, I feel his power and strength around me all the time. But I think he also expects us to do our part. He expects us to do our homework. He expects us to, you know, continue to to follow him and his word, which I start every day with spiritual reading, no matter whether it's 10 or an hour in the morning, depending on the time I get up. And then I do uh, something physical, whether it's yoga or walking in nature was really important for me to do, especially in the months after the murder. I had to get out and be in nature because I think when you're around all that God has created and you see these skies, I have to say that I don't, I I feel like before the murder, I saw one dimensionally. Post the murder, I feel like I see 3D. I mean, the clouds and the colors and the birds. I mean, everything just is so amplified and it's part of your vision, right? It's part of Christ's vision. It's part of being able to sort of see with a new appreciation, with a new, with new respect and admiration for all that God gives us, you know. And before the murder, I, you know, I was always rushing to the courthouse or rushing to this or rushing to that. And now I find that I try to be in a, in a moment with the person that I'm with, or in nature, or whatever I'm doing. And I think it's part of a. Again, being really, I feel awake. Did you start the awake. spiritual reading you're describing? Was that pre-murder, Danny's murder, or was that after? So post, post, post. Oh, because that's you know, yeah. you know, we just did a thing on spirituality. We're gonna that's going to be a big part of the podcast, showing everybody all the different approaches that are available in the Catholic tradition, which most people have no idea of. But anyway, spiritual reading is. I mean, it's the equivalent of, gee, my car doesn't work. Well, did you put gas in it? And if you don't do spiritual reading, it's like, what are you working off of? I mean, even 15 minutes, you know, at night or in the morning, just a little bit. You got to have something to chew on. And I find it interesting that it was 
but it was after that you started doing this, which I think might be tied to your 3D because you're describing what you're describing is a yeah. contemplative mindset. You know, that's what, you know, contemplation is, you know, the, that thing of, you know, everything's a miracle. Let's just sit and look at this blade of grass. Now the ego yeah. mind says, what are you stupid? I got stuff to do. No, no. How is this, you know, remember your science, you know, the big bang, you know, one less atom of carbon, no blade of grass, one, le one degree closer or away from the sun, no blade of grass. And you go through all the different things. You just everything is a miracle. Every child is a miracle. Every person's a miracle. And, you know, you get that from having a different way of looking at things than the ego mind. And that's what you're describing. And of course, this, the spiritual reading is one of the main things that makes you start looking at things in a different way. Because, you know, we all have the default that our culture gives us, which is go do, achieve, stroke that ego. He, yeah. So it's amazing. Yeah. I, I got to tell you, I, I was not a reader. I mean, I read my cases, I read my motions, but, but I, you know, I read, you know, I read books occasionally. I Inside story, she read everything. As a judge, I happen to have some personal knowledge that she reads everybody's briefs. So if you're a lawyer listening to this, understand that Judge Salas is going to read I the material. I, I hope I have Judge <laughs> Salas if I I'm do. in a courtroom here. I have this compassion, right, Tom? Really, that's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the part that I picked up on, well, many of them, but that living in the present moment, I think, opens up that whole sensitivity that you felt why you wanted to give the person, you know, reach out to them, that you're able to see it and it doesn't need words. It's that multidimensional aspect that comes in and says, hurt people know who's hurting around them. And uh, we don't get that when we're just going through enjoying the day-to-day -day life in the fast track. And we have to trip over something and have really a catharsis, I think, to be able to do that. Sadly, I think the good Lord's kingdom is to get us there without having to go through the pain and suffering. That's the goal of what we have to do here. But that outreach, that sensitivity to the needs of others is the compassion. And I think that comes right from our Lord, his compassion, you know, how he ached when he saw the crowd without food and how, you know, lost without a shepherd. They had a suffering that he endured for us. But that's what I see is this horrific experience that brings you right to the suffering of the cross. That we share the suffering of Christ as we share in his resurrection. And uh, yeah, you're, you're the witness, like Dennis said, the, the, the confessor, the she's real people. She's that leper who came back. I mean, yeah. It's a horrible analogy. But you know the story but, of the 10 lepers who Jesus healed, and then mm -hmm. they all walk away. And then one comes back, he says, Thank you. Well, thank you. Yeah. And he says, where are the other nine? So, not my yeah, job. And, was, not and, my the, and the guy that came back was a foreigner, <laughs> too, just to make matters worse, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think, though, that getting to the readings at the first thing in the morning, I, I you know, obviously people do whatever fits their schedule, but there's just so much. If we look at everything out, there's just so much there for anyone that's interested. You can look at, you know, and, and what's amazing now is I see... I see so many messages from God and, and different things. I mean, you can look at, at Lord of the Rings. You can look at the Chronicles of Narnia. We talk about that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, great. Hobbit. The mm -hmm. Hobbit. So many things that are there that, it, you know, that we see those messages. Joseph Campbell speaks to so much of, of really the hero's journey. And it's all, I think, faith-based and people don't realize it. But it's one of those things that is so powerful 
They're just, they're caught up, I guess, in the entertainment of it. But when you really think about the message, it's really one that we could all relate to. Just personally say to anyone that they start small. I mean, I have a friend of mine who, when I told him I was going to read Teresa of Avila in Tyrion Castles, he's like, oh, don't start with that one. That's the harder one. But it was speaking to me. And that's another thing that I just, I find that books come to me and I'm watching the signs of what is supposed to a real quick story. So during COVID, Daniel comes down and for philosophy, he was a philosophy major and he came down and he says, Hey mom, I'm reading this book. Have you ever read it? And I look at it, I go, what is it? And he's like the alchemist. And, uh, and I said, Oh, and he goes, mom, you gotta read it. Gotta read it. I said, I'm going to put it on my list, Daniel. And then of course everything happened. And you know, as the months after the murder, I just kept hearing the alchemist. Somebody, my law clerk told me about it. Somebody else told me. Finally, I said, God wants me to read this book. <laughs> so I grabbed the book and literally read it in practically one sentence. <laughs> and, and I, you know, the message of the alchemist is so beautiful and so powerful. And there were just so many present moment message in The Alchemists, right? The idea of what we're searching for. We all think we want something out there, but it's right underneath our feet and actually right above us, right? And, you know, the idea that the universe conspires to get us what we want. You know, just such beautiful messages in that book. So there's something out there for everyone. And the challenge is to sort of be able to get people to start awakening their souls. Well, you also, what she's saying also reminds me of what a lot of Father James Martin says in terms about being in tune with everything, you know, all the signs, very, very Ignatian, seeing God in all things. One of the things that I think a lot of us forget is that we literally have the opportunity to touch someone at any point in a day and that we don't realize the difference that you could be making with one act of kindness, one random act of kindness. And a lot of us just rush through this day. And now I find that I am just trying to make sure that I, you know, whether it be the person in the bagel shop or whether it, you know, whatever it is, just really trying to to share that love and share that connection and let that person know they're seen. Because for a lot of people, it's the idea that they're not being seen or heard. They feel invisible. And I think just that if we can sort of make people feel, I see you, I no, I'm here. I, I think it's just those small things that people would say, oh, what's the big deal? But it is an incredibly big deal for the person on the receiving end of that. And I dare say the oh, person you, giving You back. always get back. It sounds like you have more energy in that regard to be able to reach out. Your whole outreach is just loaded. Different. I mean, I find... That in this, again, I'm a different person. I'm profoundly different. And I wasn't, I like to say I wasn't a bad person pre-murder, but I, I strive for betterment. And not betterment in the sense of the, you know, the standards that we all set. It's not that betterment. It's not the ego-based. It's almost like Daniel's with me 20, 24 hours and okay. seven days a week, right? And before, when my son was around, I was impeccable because he was around and I felt I had to be impeccable with my words and conduct because my son was there. Now my son is there all the time and, and God is there. And now I have, you know, I, I, it's not even like I feel like I have to. It's like I want to do it. I want to make, I want him to know that I am living 
the word and that I am trying. And believe me, I am by no stretch of the imagination. I know, you know I'm working on the ego. I try to wrestle her down. And I, 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 even when I think I've got her down, she pops up every once in a while. Um, but, you know, I, I'm a lot more in tune to the ego-based thinking and now, you know, sort of what I'm, de- you know, what I define as sort of God's will, God's thinking, Christ's eyes. You know, I just feel like there's so much that's different about me, even like silly things like, you know, I getting offended if someone said something or, you know, wanting to fit in with the Joneses or all you get. I mean, nothing like having your only child murdered in front of you to give you perspective. But I dare say that we don't need to get to that level of tragedy. I think we can get there with sort of realizing how you feel, which is a major thing that, you know, I wanted to also share with you, gentlemen. You can tell how you feel when you start gossiping or when you start talking ill of other people or when you start judging. All of a sudden, your energy gets real dark. You get real heavy, you know? You you, You almost feel like there's this static. Whereas if you're talking about someone in a loving and a compassionate way, when you're doing a random act of kindness, when you're thinking in a loving way, when you're sending, you know, God bless you to people, it's almost as if you feel there's just a light airiness about you. And that's what I feel. So I just know that I feel better. Well, that's what Jesus said that. The the measure you use for others will be measured back to you, pressed down and overflowing. Mm -hmm. They will pour it into your lap. In other words, what you put out there is coming back to you in spades. And you, what you're describing, by the way, just for people who might be listening, is this is a perfect example of a person who's had what they call a spiritual awakening. That's the term. It's not that I was a terrible person before or whatever, but I, you know, it's like the old hymn, I was blind, but now I see. Well, not talking about physical sight. It's the 3D, it's the aliveness, it's, it's this woman has had a spiritual awakening and you, it shows all this coming out is just, she can't not have it come out. So I totally agree, but I'd like to add a little personal element to it too, because as we've now said, I did know Judge Salas back. Remember the gossip murder. now, remember what she just said. And remember the gossip. Now, this is not gossip. What I want to point out, what I want to point out is that it's not like Judge Salas was not a faith-based or a religious person in the past. There have been occasions at her house where I have gotten to know people that her friends and her husband's friends who were very, very strong Catholics and very strongly faith-based. So it, it was there, but I do agree that she, this seems to have, <laughs> we're talking about her like she's not sitting here, <laughs> like mm-hmm. she has gone through a spiritual awakening. But I just think there's so much here for the person who, uh, she just said it two, five minutes ago, yes. who does not need to go through a tragedy to be able to get where Judge Salas is. And that's what she's teaching us, how to do that by these acts of kindness, by the spiritual reading, by the recognition that when you walk through your day, God is in everything you see and every person you meet. I'm selling like it, preaching. brother. Preach, no, but I'm inspired. Yeah. Same it's contagious. But I'm inspired. It's contagious. Judge Salas. Yeah, yeah. It's I'm that in... positive energy. Right. It's that faith is taught, not taught. Yeah. yeah. So, like the... but it's yeah. and it's a common. It is something though that ministers, if they're being honest, will admit. And I've admitted it, and I've had other friends of mine, like Dennis and Tom, admit it. That when we are in the midst of ministry, we walk out of that 
whether it's feeding the poor or preaching the gospel or just listening to someone with problems, when we walk away from that, we're like, I feel pretty good because God was there in that moment, you know? Hopefully, the person that yeah, we minister to felt more, the same God way. is never outdone in generosity, and the judge mentioned that too. The other thing I just like to point out to people is that when she talks about the closeness to Daniel, I really resonate with that. And that is an article of faith. That's what you mean every Sunday when you say, I believe in the communion of saints. We are all in this together. We are all tied together. We are all in God, you know, just whether you wake up and know that or whether you're walking around, as she so perfectly said, in the delusion that you are separate from God, because God cannot not be present. God is being. God is existence. You know, it's like the fish saying, where's the ocean? I don't see no ocean. Well, wake up and smell the salt. You know what I mean? Like, you're in it, baby. And But some people know it, and that gives you another level of existence that Jesus called eternal life. And that's, you know, and part of that is that communion of saint things. Even when we go to communion, you're not just going to communion with Jesus. You're going to communion with everybody else who's in Jesus. Yes, you are sharing the body of Christ with you. You are in communion with everybody as well as Jesus. So, you know, I mean, people don't realize that. And, you know, I go to communion. My mother has been dead for a few years now. And, you know, I go to my mother and father and, you know, First thing I do when I go to communion is I, when the host hits my tongue and uh, say, hi, Ma, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, I know she's there. And that's the beauty of the faith. I mean, and the reason I'm pulling this out is because Judge Salas is showing us where the rubber hits the road, which is always my interest. You know, this stuff being theoretical does no one any good. But you see here when she talks about Danny and her closeness to Danny and feeling his presence, that's available to all of us. That's part of the gift of our faith, because we are all one. And I think that's something that people need to realize. I think it's beautiful. Yeah, that uh, it really it's is. the main tenet. I've had so many blessings. I've had so many moments where my son has come to me. I have felt him. I have felt his presence right before Mother's Day, this past Mother's Day. You know, uh, again, felt him so strong. And for all of us, we've got to realize that we are headed home. <laughs> but I'm personally glad that it was us. You know, a lot of people don't know this, but the killer, the morning of the shooting, went down to the front desk and extended his stay three more nights. And when the FBI was giving me the debriefing on giving Mark and I the debriefing on this, I was shocked. That I sort of said, I think, why do you think he did that? And they and there and you know, the agent said very, you know, very straightforward, looked at me and said, ma'am, he was going to kill you whether he could do it that day or he was going to, you know, or do it another day. And I realized that Daniel, and I do believe Daniel saved our lives, and I do believe he came and that was his sacred contract. But I realized that I much rather me be here experiencing what I'm experiencing and knowing that he is with God. And knowing that where he is, there is no time and there is no pain. There is only love. And so Mark and I endure and we endure with a sense of purpose. And for me, the purpose is to try to inspire, to try to motivate, to try to do better. I, I read a book and this is not technically a spiritual book, but I am going to recommend it for all of you. It's called Second Mountain by David Brooks. Yeah. And I don't know if uh, if you've read it, 
but it, it talks about people that have endured tragedies and what they have done. And they say, you know, the, the first mountain that we all climb is early in our lives. And we climb that mountain and we are sort of climbing it on our own and we don't need your help. And I'm going to get to that mountain and I'm going to, you know, scroll, uh, uh, crawl, scratch and, and pull my way up. And then you get to that top of the mountain and you sort of say, some people say, is that all there is? And then some people are very happy on the top of the mountain and they get knocked off the top of the mountain through tragedy and they get knocked into the valley of despair. And when you're in the valley of despair, you can decide you could stay in the valley of despair. And many of us, I bet, have met those people in the valley of despair. Or you can decide you're going to climb that second mountain. But now that mountain climb is so much different. Now that mountain climb is not an I mission. It's a we mission, right? It is not, you know, I'm in this for me. I'm in this for us. And you walk and you ask, you know, you climb that mountain, you take a break and you ask for help. Or you, you realize you need to, you know, you need to, you need to call in some, some people to help you up the further part of the mountain. It's a different climb. It's a more spiritual climb. It's a more communal climb. And that's where I'm at. I'm climbing that second mountain. I don't know where I'm at, but I know that it's not my life. It's mm, a different, it's a different purpose. That, that's a hymn we sing. It's not my life. It's, it's the second half of life. Christ to listen uh, me. Yeah. That, that roar. I can't forget which book. Yeah, he had a great book that on that, talks about, about yeah. what the difference between the first half of life and the second half. It's very much along that idea. Your Honor, you know, you mentioned, uh, and you just mentioned it again, you're talking about deciding to get out of the valley of despair and all this stuff. And a couple times I've heard you really hit hard the word choice. And you even said it was a choice, which it is, but it was just interesting the way you said it, a choice to forgive your son's murderer and the shooter of your husband. And so I've heard it several times from you, this idea of choice seems very important to you. Is there anything about it you can share with us? I mean, does this come from being a judge and seeing people making choices? I assume you deal with that all the time as your job. I, I feel as if I see people make those choices every day, and sometimes they make the choice to stay bitter and angry and resentful and hateful and, you know, and opinionated. And I could go on, or you can choose love and you can choose forgiveness and you can choose to be elevated from that lower energy states that many of us travel to try to reach a different state, a state of peace, a state of acceptance, you know, be empathic. I honestly have learned one thing. I, I read, read a lot of books that I love to share, but one of them is Living Buddha, Living Christ by Thich Nhat Hanh. I don't know. Did you read that one? Yeah, yes. I've read it. Yeah, I have a lot of his books. Yeah. 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 And one of the things that I loved in that book is the idea of becoming a compassionate listener. And for me, I wasn't that always. You know, I was ready to pounce when somebody was saying something that was, you know, perhaps, you know, combative or what I was taking as an assault. And, or I was wanting to turn them around and make them see the brighter side. And sometimes when people are in that dysregulated state, to give them that space that they need just to listen. And I've become a better listener. And I think it's because of all that's happened, but a lot of it has to do with wanting to be better, wanting to be more compassionate, wanting to be a better listener, wanting you know, to see light instead of darkness. And that is all, I think, a choice we all walk, you know, we all have that choice. We can choose to wake up and just see 
that glass half empty. Curse, you know, that it's raining. Curse that, you know, they're going to be late. Be upset, be angry, be judgmental. Or you can choose the latter, which I dare say is a lot, you know, I feel liberated now. I used to stay up and worry about everything under the sun before my son was murdered. I had insomnia and I would be thinking about all these things that I had to get done and all these things that could happen if I didn't do X, Y, and Z. And now I realize that worry, you know, tries to make itself relevant. And, you know, you just realize that you have to begin to trust and you have to stop allowing that to be your fear-based emotions, your ego-based emotions. And it robs you of the present moment. And so I think there are choices and they are not always easy. They take consistent practice, habitual practice, if you will, but they begin to get easier. And I am one to say that a lot of what I do now is very habitual, but needed in order to get through that. You were just describing that, you know, it's like, especially if you start with the things that you can't control, you know, the old AA thing and the wisdom to know the difference. There's just thing. If it's raining, it's raining. You can say, oh, crap, it's raining. But you got to decide, well, am I going to be miserable about it? Or am I going to say, well, we need the water or it's okay. I mean, you know what I mean? Like you can't, it's not going to change. And, uh, you know, so that's the, where you start with that stuff where, with the, you know, and then when you get to the ego stuff, that gets harder, but at least it's like, well, you know, it rains sometimes and we need it. So my trick in dealing with the rain is I just think that maybe I could become Gene Kelly and just dance and dance sing. Dance it. There you go. Yeah. Why? These oh, are good wow, guitar wet. Gene Kelly. Is this the geriatric show here? Singing Gene in Kelly? the rain. Tell us who Gene <laughs> Kelly is, Drew. <laughs> we just went into the, the culture hour. <laughs> Let's be honest. Except for Judge Salas, it is the geriatric show. Ex-nay on the old stay. <laughs> we're, we're on an audio yeah. platform for a reason. A face That's for right. radio. Come on. <laughs> so can I take us a, a, a little a slightly different direction? How is Mark doing? How is he doing health-wise? Oh, thanks be to God. He is doing great. I mentioned it earlier. So he was shot three times, but the bullet hit five, like five different areas. So one of the bullets hit his rib, broke his rib, collapsed his lung, took a chunk of his liver. The other one ripped through both intestines and then the third one got lodged in his arm. And so he was, you know, he was in pretty bad shape. But, you know, Mark is a very faithful Catholic. He went to Catholic, he's a product of Catholic schools his whole life. And he is, you know, he is very faithful, very committed and very positive. You know, it's amazing. I said to you all that he got out of the hospital on a Thursday. By Monday, he was slapping on his suit, you know, going to work and has gone to work every day, five days a week, leaves at like six something in the morning and comes home usually at seven or eight at night. It's amazing. Uh, He loves what he does. He gives back. I said to you that he had a near-death experience and those were a number of books that I've also toured through all the near-death experience books. But, you know, Mark, you know, went into cardiac arrest in the ambulance and I was wondering why the ambulance was taking so long. There were two ambulances, one that took Danny and then one that at Mark. And, and Marcus has shared this, so I feel like I can share it. He remembers being on our front porch and remembers seeing the grass was so green and the sky was so blue and he wasn't alone. He says, I wasn't alone. And he felt just, just felt this peace and this love. And then he says, he likes to joke that he was rejected. 
and uh, <laughs> um, and uh, he always says, "Yeah." Then summer I got school for you, Pat. Um, summer school. Back you go. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm always afraid they're going to say to me. What the hell are you doing here? Catch your <laughs> Well, but that is what he says when he says that he knows that Danny was Danny's at the state of grace, and so for Mark, he has a sense of peace, and he is very comfortable. We're both very comfortable. Don't get us wrong. You know, we have moments. And when one is either stronger, the other one's weaker. And so there's this equilibrium that occurs. But he's healthy. He's being all his way back pre the shooting. He's still, you know, I think emotionally, he's, a, you know, definitely just started getting past his physical injuries and uh, dealing with some of, of the more deeper emotional, you know, uh, feelings that one would expect him to be grappling with. But I say we move forward, and I always like to say the word forward, never on. Forward, because we know that Daniel's just not expecting us to survive in this world. He's expecting us to thrive. And so we're doing our part, and we're you know doing what we can to keep each other lifted up every day and to be there for those that need us. Mark's a criminal defense attorney, so... He has a lot of clients that, that rely on him just for support, legal support, but for counsel. And I feel like he's even more, if that's possible, even more energized with what he is supposed to be doing on earth, which, you know, again, I thank God and I credit God for giving him that resilience and that strength and that continued faith and hope that anyone in his position would need. Well, my fellow deacons, we always like to leave our guests with the last word. Do you have anything you want to talk to Judge or ask Judge Salas before we give her the last word? Well, I I am just thankful for your testimony, how difficult it is an understatement. But the fact that we're here trying to reach out to people to say that our faith is real, that it provides comfort, it provides joy, that there is a lot to it, multi-dimensions, and the ultimate purpose is, for our, from a good Lord's point of view, was that we might start to experience the happiness in this world, that the transition is easier when you're coming from a community and understanding into the eternal life that he promised. Yeah, and i just like to say that to the listeners, pay attention because this is what it, a grown-up faith looks like, what the Judge Salas, this is what we're trying to do. This is what all the Catholic schools are for and all the retreats and the mission trips and this and that. Like the end product is supposed to be what you're hearing here. And I'd also point out that you notice how much of this is powered by love, not by rules. You know, a lot of people, you know, they just don't get beyond the uh, very childish, not childlike, but childish notion of the faith where they just remember the rules they were taught and it's rule-based, and it's do this and don't do that, and all, and I got to do this or whatever. And they just don't get to the love that really is beneath that, because our faith is ultimately a mysticism, not a morality. It's an experience of God that powers the faith through life so that, that it still works, even in moments of tremendous tragedy like Judge Salas endured. So Judge Salas, would you like to leave us with anything? I would. I, I think we've touched the, uh, uh, on everything, but sort of I would love to just tell someone struggling out there with whatever it might be that, one, you're never alone, that God is always with you, and that if you give him an opportunity, even if you're screaming at him, even if you're yelling, even if you're cursing, but you're talking to him, that's what he wants. 
He wants you to talk to him and to share with him and to be willing to open yourself to the possibilities that there's so much more there that you don't understand. But if you give him time, if you give him a chance, if you open yourself to him, he will begin to show you so much more about yourself. If you would have asked me, could I have endured? And I've endured a lot of things in my life. My mom, uh, you know, I had to leave my dad in the middle of the night. Um, She took all but a few things in a suitcase and and left from California to New Jersey and raised us five by herself. And um, unfortunately, I say that my father was a product of his own environment and, and his own experiences. And I think that shaped a lot of the man he became when he was married to my mom. Not an excuse, but an explanation. And then we moved to Union City and we dealt with poverty. But I tell people all the time we were poor, but we were rich in so many ways. And then we lost everything in a fire in 1979 and started all over again. And, you know, welfare and everything else that we had to endure. And then, of course, you know, I survived an eating disorder. I'm very open about an eating disorder that I had. And, and then I think that it was, the, you know, getting me ready for the worst thing that was ever going to happen that I I think in my life, uh, time here on earth will be losing my only child and losing him in such a horrific way. And so I just sort of just say to your listeners that give him a chance, give faith a chance, give forgiveness a chance. It is more for you than it is for anybody else. I really truly believe that forgiveness, when you're not only forgiving the person who's harmed you, you are giving your heart an opportunity to grow and to open and to receive God's word. And then finally, I can only say this, that that love is something that if we look at all of our emotions and we look at what comes from love, it is everything that is light. It is everything that is beautiful. It is everything that we should all want to hold on to every second of our lives here on earth. And so I, I, I ask, let go of fear, embrace love, and uh, never give up on God because he's there. Thank you so much. This has been so powerful and so wonderful, and we really thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank Thank you. All rise. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. so nice. I feel like I know you all, so... um, (laughs) Thank you. Hug to everybody. Thank Bye-bye. you very much. Well, thank you again. Yes, to Mark. Well. Say hello to Mark. Bye-bye. Special thanks to El Jefe Paul Snatchko and our editor, David Dalt. The Deacon's Pod is powered by the Paulus Fathers. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts and, of course, at our own website, www.deaconspod.com. That's D-E-A-C-O-N-S the nest deacons plural pod all one word.com and of course we'd love to hear your comments at our email address which is deacons pod again with an s deacons at paulist.org that's p-a-u-l-i-s-t dot org love to hear from you